Well, 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 welcome to Between Sundays. My name is Tyler, and we're having an old-fashioned tent revival today. We want to learn how to live the Christian life, but how? The days are evil. We got to grow up and stop saying dada. America's pastor and Protestant Pope Billy Graham gave us a timeless message from 1957 last weekend. And unless you're willing to accept my challenge, you cannot be my follower. So let's stand up and be counted. But we don't have to do this alone. So let's put on our Sunday best and present ourselves to our favorite co-hosts, Marin and Barry. Good day, guys. <laughs> hey, Hi. that was elaborate. <laughs> and you really, really needed to see the sermon to I understand. Know, I had to dig deep for the Billy Graham <laughs> intro, man. You did. And Dave's here. Good day, Dave. Hey, good day. Excellent. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Oh, good. I'm, I'm in Great. a really good place. Yeah. Barry, glad do you're tell. in a good place. You're, well, What's happening? What's going on? What'd you do this weekend? <laughs> this weekend was kind of relaxing. I was home working on seminary stuff and things like that and hanging out with my wife. Cool. Olivia. Hey, Liv. Love you. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Are you guys in a fight or something? No, not at all. No, we're in a good place. We're okay. in a good place. I just a wanted really to know good place. Okay, that, good. that I love her. Apparently. So, good. Um, no, but I, I guess last week I was on the pastoral leadership team retreat like all week. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I was out of town in a way. And so it was good to get a little bit of R&R back home. Do you Weath- feel Weather retreated? was really good. Weather was excellent. Oh man, last week was brutal with Awful. the weather. Yeah. I'm sorry. We need to not call it a retreat. It's not a retreat. Because it is literally, it's like the pastoral leadership team hellscape <laughs> strategy <laughs> session. That's a multi- perfect Dale. description. <laughs> it <Hellscape> is not. <laughs> strategy <laughs> session. Yeah, it's it is. my favorite. It's not easy so at all. you don't feel retreated. Is that what I'm gathering? I do now that Heck I came no. home and relaxed, but <laughs> no. 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 No, it's, I mean, dad could talk more about it. He's done it a 30,000 times or something, but, mm-hmm. uh, what yeah, do you guys do? It's a lot of talk talking. It's a lot of like Writing. just getting everybody on the same page this year, there was a lot of like emotional baggage unloading and like yeah. going through just the, how we're all dealing with the things that are, you know, have been going on mm-hmm. at grace, but I don't I mean, we don't need to get into all the details, but there was a really cool moment. And this is the most important part of the retreat. There was a moment where, everything began to click into place for what's coming next at grace. Uh-huh. And, and the team st- suddenly it was like a, it was like the, the sun, mm. which didn't actually come out the whole time we <laughs> yeah, were there. Pretty much just rained but, all week, yeah, huh? yeah, no, it was, it was, but it felt like it, it, but it felt like the sun came out and we all of a sudden it there was joy. There was laughter. There was excitement. And it was, it was really cool to see because I think most people don't realize just how much of an emotional burden the pastors of this church carry with them everywhere they go. But to see the entire team like looking ahead into the future and actually really, really getting pumped up and excited was, Hmm. it was a, it was a good moment. So not really refreshing. Uh, It was a lot of admin and, and big old, what are those big post-it note thingies that you put up on the wall? Huge. Those those giant things. Yeah. A lot of those. Yeah. I agree that the word retreat is misleading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for all teams, like our centralized team yeah, had a retreat yeah. not like, long ago. Yeah, not retreat means like five minutes of, yeah. to the eighty-four fifty building. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. Sitting in a darkened, darkened corner with flickering fluorescent lights. <laughs> yeah. like, this is still my first year at Grace, so all this stuff is just new to me. And it was on my calendar for months that You're our like, team oh, was going on retreat. This retreat. You got Get excited. Ready. You got your marshmallows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Campfire. Yeah. Yeah. We need to find a different word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hellscape. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't a know. team hellscapes coming up. <laughs> Mark your calendar. Yeah. I got, I got to share this one moment though, this, this past weekend, nothing to do with the pastors or anything, but 
I got an urgent phone call uh, from Marin's phone. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. And I picked it up. I was like, I was like, hello. And she's like, now I wouldn't. Marin said I would never call you if it, unless it was an absolute emergency. Well, that's not nice. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> like what's going on? I'm like, I'm like, get into the, I'm getting my shoes on. I'm like ready to, I don't not, <laughs> I'm like I'm ready to go. Like what's happening? And then she's like, go ahead, ask your question. Yeah. And then what? the phone gets handed off and it was Jaden. Oh, and he had a question for me. Was Marin's it about orange son. juice? No, his question was, pants? his question was, does the Death Star have a hyperdrive? The original Death Star. The original Death Star. Um, and that was, that Marin, was the emergency. Marin. Listen, well, there is one pastor I know that I can go to <laughs> with all of my Star Wars needs. Yeah. Pastor Barry Rodriguez. Wait, did you know the answer to that? Well, I, it has to have one because it moves between star systems. So well, I didn't know enough. And I looked of it course, up. Of course, Dave. It has, a, it what has a, a class four hyper, hyperdrive now. I know that. Yeah. Class four. And I just always think that you're in a meeting somewhere. Like, I don't care if it's like 7 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm like, oh, Barry's probably in a meeting. So I did call like thinking, oh, I'm probably interrupting something. No, but- that made my day. I was just sitting on my computer working on stuff. That was great. Is Jaden pacified? Oh yeah. I mean, well, why, well, why don't you explain that. why, why so, was this an emergency meeting I'm or still, emergency call? I'm still confused as to even what was happening in the car, but we had gone out for breakfast <laughs> as a family. It was a really lovely breakfast we had had, but it started to fall apart after breakfast when we were, I think on our way to our fourth grocery store. What? That's what we spent our Saturday doing. <laughs> and my husband and my son are just disagreeing about the, Star Wars? the build, I guess, of the original Death Star and sure. whether it had a hyperdrive or not. And they, I mean, the conversation was louder, lengthier, more animated than I felt it needed to be. And I didn't see an end in sight. So I pulled out my ace in the hole, got Barry on the Wait phone and Barry set things straight and then followed up with a text that he had like Googled it and like found the actual documentation yeah. that the canon. What's the word canon. Thank you. Canon. Yeah. It wasn't legend. Is that legends the word? is not the legends okay. is like. It's like fictional stuff about Star Wars. Canon is the actual Yeah, you story. can trust it. Yeah, yeah. So he found it and followed <laughs> my, up with my, my son. My only and, yeah. question, mm. why did you go to four grocery stores <laughs> in one day? That is typical for us. Were you looking for what? moist tortillas or something? <laughs> oh exactly. God. Like there's certain products that you can get at certain places you that you can't. You to four now, hold stores? On. Hold on. I get this. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is oh. legit. Oh, for when I go to the grocery store, minimum two. What? Mm-hmm. Minimum two. Is this normal? For me, it is. What? What? So you start at Aldi where you can get everything the cheapest, uh-huh. right? And then you go to Costco because you realize you need dog food, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you really want tomato bisque with tonight's dinner, which you know you can only get at Kroger. See? See? You can't get that at Aldi? Just like and, that. No. And for me, I go into Kroger and I'm going to do a roast chicken and I look at the chicken in Kroger and I go, mm-mm. Yeah, I'm out. So, I'm out on the roast chicken from Kroger. Whole Foods, 10 minutes later, Whole Foods, <laughs> fix me up with a chicken. <laughs> That's it. Wow. Yeah. I, I go to one because everything's a transaction for me. Most yeah. efficient. One and done. Get, get it, it out. Yeah. yeah. If I can't get it, we're not having it. Yeah. That's why I use Amazon. Yeah, for exactly. All of my, I can't wait until it becomes efficient and and actually usable to just get all of your groceries fresh. And otherwise yeah. from Amazon. All right. Yep. Any day now. Penny cannot stand shopping for groceries at all. It'd be, she'd be happy if she just stopped by CVS and picked up something in the cooler. Me too. 
That's how I feel. And I'm like, Mm -mm. you can't do that. No. You cannot buy food at CVS. (laughs) It's not an option. I'm sure there's a Marie Callender somewhere that we can enjoy together. Nope. No. It only expired a week ago. Anyway, sorry. That's all. (laughs) Well, it's frozen. It's good. Yeah. On these podcasts, can we diss these organizations? I feel badly about doing that. This is an authentic podcast. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're real here. Yeah. Maren, what's going on? What's what's happening? What did you do this weekend? What did I do? I was at Fisher's this oh. weekend. So that was singing? lovely. Mm-hmm. Hosting? I was on singing at okay, Fisher's good. this weekend. So that was cool. Um, yeah. My son did Fuse. I feel like that's like probably the bulk of the weekend. But yeah, Saturday, nice family day. Sunday, beautiful service. I loved the way both services went. We did something mm-hmm. new this time with our kids. Our kids go to Fuse for their age group, Mm -hmm, middle school. But we had them sit with us in adult service for the first service and then go to Fuse after that. What'd you do? Um, Did Jed stay for the second service? He did. um, He was kind of in and out during the second service. But yeah, that kind of makes things difficult on the parent side of things. Not for me, obviously. Yeah, you're good. I'm good. But I find that we have great conversations when we can all sit in service together, but awesome. I don't want to keep them from doing their fun stuff yeah. with their friends either. And I don't want to over church them either. So I don't know that we'll do this all the time, but mm-hmm. it made sense for this Sunday to see, see how that goes. Mm-hmm. So it was good. It was good. I gave Jesse a piece of paper to take some notes that keeps her engaged. And I love what comes out of her note taking. She Does usually she... draws pictures. Okay, I was going to ask some people draw. Mm-hmm what they're hearing or like just as they're processing. I used to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she does that. She does do that. That's cool. She does. But she was sitting next to a friend and I felt bad like, that I I just gave my daughter a piece of paper and not her friend. So I gave her friend a piece of paper. <laughs> She's like, what am, like, what am I supposed to do with well, this? Well, then yeah. I talked to the mom afterward and they're like, well, I'm I'm from, you know, the old school where you just look at the the speaker the entire time. Yep. So I'm like, oh, oops. Like, I hope I didn't cross a line there. <laughs> but but I'm no. From the, I'm from the school of thought where we try to make church as miserable as possible <laughs> no, for no, children. No, 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 no. Everyone just was kidding. raised differently. But <laughs> just- <laughs> no, like, and there was a point at which I looked over and I felt my daughter was just drawing like random doodles that meant nothing. And I had to have, my husband was sitting closest to her. So I had to have him remind her, hey, try to stay as engaged as possible and do all the doodling you want, but make it about something you've heard. So she Even drew if it a strikes you funny, portrait of Billy Graham. I should have brought in what she actually drew. And, and most of the time she does find humor in things. <laughs> One time, and just kind of to prove my point, we drove home from service that Sunday, this Sunday, and she was talking about, um, isn't, isn't there a scripture in the Bible that says that Jesus came for the sick and not for the healthy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's in there. And she's like, oh yeah, because that one time I drew that comic and she just described this picture that she drew. And I, I still have it. I remember this one um, of Jesus being the balm of Gilead. And she drew some like Jesus lip balm. Like that's how it struck her, the balm <laughs> yeah. of Gilead. But she was able <laughs> cool. to recall the scripture yeah, sure. in context and use it appropriately. So wait cool. a minute. We need to have that in our bookstore. <laughs> Jesus balm. Jesus balm. Jesus balm. The lip balm. Lip balm of Gilead. The balm of Gilead. So yeah, it was cool. We're just trying new stuff as a family. And yeah, it's good. bringing on lots of good conversations. Then later that night, uh, I was invited to sing at a different event on the far south side of Indianapolis and brought my family there too. And yeah. How was, <laughs> what was that? What was the event? So I'm friends with musicians in the area and um, I was asked to just come and sing yeah an event that happens once a month worship night 
Um, and I'd only gone one other time before, mm-hmm. but this time brought my family and the kids very different from any grace, you know, service that my kids would ever be at. So mm-hmm. again, what'd you think talking about some great conversation on the way yeah, home, yeah. there was, was just... a lot going on culturally. That was not what my kids are used to, which is why I felt it was so important to bring them. Okay. Um, I, need, they feel when to, you I left? need to get my kids out of the suburbs. Like it is Uh-oh. a, it is a need in my life. Yeah. And <laughs> Don't forget they feel? you're what from they the city. Um, my son summed it up best. There was, there were lots of questions like, why do they do things that way? Why do they blow a shofar? Hmm, uh, what is that? I don't even know what <laughs> it's that like is. A it's a big ram's, ram's horn. horn, you know, <laughs> and it's what? not the first yeah. church they've been a visitor of where that's happened. They've seen what? this happen before, but they've not asked questions about it up until this point. We so, probably have a lot of the same questions. It was it's associated with, with ancient Judaism. It was okay. a part of like, they used it as a call to worship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and this, this church used it as what a call it was to worship for in the Old Testament. Yeah, right. okay, right. So just great they had a lot questions. of ram's horn just lying around back then. So I was <laughs> well, like, you know, you could make these into like a trumpet thing. This one was impressive. <laughs> this one was really like twirly cool. and long, nice. And nice. impressive <laughs> ram's horn. We need a shofar. We need a shofar. That word might less as well. Impressive. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, nicely done. Thank you. Is that what it sounds like? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Dave, what's new in your life? I'll tell you one cool thing from this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, cool, a little bit unnerving. We had a memorial service for a man who passed away <clears throat> last week, Mark Uchida. Mm-hmm. Great guy. The memorial service is incredible because he wanted everyone to wear shorts <laughs> and butler gear. Interesting. I think he went to butler, but he's a the, huge fan. So I walked in in my pastor garb. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everybody was rocking the blue yeah. of Butler and a bunch of people had shorts. So it was really cool. And it, when I walked in, it was like loud and people are talking and it was not, it was not a grieving. I mean, it was- Did you change? No. Okay. No. You could have kept like your suit coat on and just worn shorts. Well, I should have. I should have. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rob Yonan actually officiated and he wore a Butler shirt, and, but he wore his jacket over. That's cool. At any rate. So Mark was a great guy. Um, Tough struggle. I think four four years struggle with cancer and just a great guy. But he was uh, Rob did a masterful job telling the story of his life. This Mark was a guy that would ride in five degree weather in shorts on his motorcycle. That was oh that my was, goodness. That was Mark. He did his thing. Did this thing where he would drive from a thousand miles in one day and back on his motorcycle. Oh, what? Wow. Yeah, it was. A, it's a thing. <laughs> and anyway, it was an amazing. But here's what happened. So I went and visited him in his home. He was in home hospice, and even before home hospice, I went and visited him in his home. And uh, great guy, and we're having a conversation, and uh, it was about two weeks ago, uh, three weeks, something like that. And I said goodbye, and uh, he went downhill really fast, Mm -hmm. um, and he passed away. Well, I was getting ready to go to the memorial service. And I had a stack on my desk of actually unopened notes and letters and papers that I hadn't looked at in a long time because it's been crazy. And I noticed a note from his wife, Anne. And I opened it up. And on the bottom of the note, it was basically saying, thank you for coming to visit Mark a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I was on the bottom and I looked up and there was a note on the top and it was from him. He had, he had written me a note, had found, she didn't, she, I, she didn't even know that he had taken her note and wrote a note wow. to me wow. personally from him. Mm. And it was, I mean, 
I'm standing oh there goodness. about to go out the door yeah. to celebrate his life. And, you know, it felt like a message from beyond the grave, yeah. wow. you know? Hmm. And it and and the cool thing about it was, I won't go into detail, but it was he was encouraging. And he said, and then he said, I'm going to fight this. Hmm. So there was that and, you know, processing, what does that mean? But then in the conversation, he noted, he and I got into a conversation about something we have mutual, mutually in common and uh, something we enjoyed. And here he is not doing well. And he goes, you let me know and I'm going to go get that for you. Hmm. So it was such a, a deeply encouraging thing. And then I walked out the door to his memorial service. That's and, cool. Wow. Isn't that a cool story? Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Shook me though. Yeah. So does something like that, what, what's the feeling that comes over you when you experience something like that? Is it like sadness? Like, oh man, or is it like gratitude? Mm. What, what is it? It's just, it was a strange kind of exhilaration, to be honest with you. Mm. I don't know how else to describe it. It was like energy. It was like, wow, what, what is this? And what does it mean? And then I'm immediately asking, what does it mean? And mm-hmm. what can I learn from this? Mm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's just a little, it's shocking. Yeah. You know, because he's talking to me. Yeah. He's talking to me, but he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. That's really cool. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, isn't that kind of what this whole weekend felt like? I was like? just going to say, that's a, that's a ridiculously <laughs> well, perfect sexual yeah. addition to Billy <laughs> yeah. Graham. Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah. I had said to somebody who was sitting next to me, remember that one time Billy Graham came and spoke at our church? Yeah. Like post-mortem? Yeah. <laughs> that's totally what this weekend so felt So if like. you miss services... Um, we pulled, as in the words of Dave, we pulled an audible mm-hmm. and- uh, oh, Called an audible. Pulled? Called? Called an I audible. I would say called. Wow. You knew that? It's Very sports. You know me in sports games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Just want to make sure you- Called. You get those sports terminology. Yeah, correct. thank you. Um, and Dave had a message prepared. We were going to talk about wrestling with Jacob, uh, but instead, um, Billy Graham passed away last week and we wanted to honor him- uh, and his influence uh, by showing a message from 60 years ago. And so I'm going to let Dave and Barry, who kind of, you guys were on the retreat and you decided this is what we wanted to do. Can you guys give us, give us a, the story of how that came about and why, sure. why uh, we did that? Yeah. And since I did it this past weekend, I'll let Barry kick it off and I'll add whatever he doesn't. Okay. Why don't you tell him what happened? Okay. So hellscape, right? So we were emotionally (laughs) all over the map. We were um, feeling deeply discouraged. We were feeling excited and like hopeful. And it was just, it was just up and down and and we were just being raked over the coals emotionally, which is important and necessary in these kinds of retreats. So we're already like feeling pretty just raw when we heard the news of Billy Graham. And so when he passed, and so we spent a good, 30 minutes just reminiscing, talking about what he meant to each of us and, and like our different exposure to him and things like that. Um, and, you know, many, several of the people in the, in the room had been to see him live different places. And so everybody was talking about their different experiences. And somebody said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we like started the service with, with a clip of him talking? And I said, I said, what about, what about him in his prime when he was young? Mm. Like, what about mm-hmm. something like that? Let's do that. And so then uh, Jeff Unruh started a pastor of worship and communication and production and yeah. Everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he pulled up, was looking for yeah. old- Yeah, he Googled. Googled it. He was looking on YouTube and he started watching this one sermon. Uh, we took a break. And so he was like looking at it to see if there was any part of it that would be a good fit. And he put it up on this uh, pool, table pool table at some yeah. point. And so a few of us were sitting there watching it and we're shaking our heads like, man, he's such a good communicator and oh, how simple yeah. and how- mm. And then 
And then more and more people came back from the break and started gathering around. The whole pastoral team was there. And as we're, as we're listening to him share, we're realizing like he was saying a message that is just as relevant today as it was back then. And there was something so beautiful in the simplicity of what he was saying and the things that he was calling people to. Mm -hmm. And just, we just, everybody got so overcome by emotion that we were, we're all we're standing all there with tears pouring oh down our goodness. face. Um, wow. And it wasn't, Liv, after hearing the sermon, she's like, what part of it made you cry? Cause I don't, none yeah. of it was particularly emotional. And I just, I said, no, it was, it was the fact that, that he was fighting the same battle we're fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was, he cared about the same things we cared about. And it was, frankly, it was a shock how relevant his message was. Yeah. And so some, somewhere along the line, we're like, what if we just did this sermon <laughs> instead yeah. of? I don't know who. I don't know if it was me or some. We just yeah. said, let's call an audible. I mean, mm-hmm. we can do this sermon. I can do my sermon some other time. Mm. And it's one of those few moments where you're like, well, who are the people that would have to have to make that decision and get it all done? We're like, oh, we're all in this room <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah. We're Tyler, all here. so we had to yeah. call Tyler and figure out and his team, the worship team. But they got it. They made it made it happen. But so I, I, I don't. Yeah. You, what you need to say, I don't. Jeff was saying that what happened when you called the Billy Graham Association. Yeah, they were they were like, we're kind of busy. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh. well, he just died. So if we, uh, we don't get back to you right away, please understand. We're like, uh, we'll take it from here. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> um, yeah, they're kind of busy. Okay, so that sets the, the context. I want to bring in a guest, um, Mark Slaughter, who has been going to Grace for a long time. He's a partner of Grace Church, uh, missionary. Um, and you, Mark, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, so you, um, you, I want you to kind of introduce yourself, but the reason you're here is you emailed us and said, I feel like I have something to contribute to the conversation about Billy Graham. Um, and as we honored him this past weekend, he's influenced you quite a bit. And so we're excited to hear that story. But before we move into the sermon, I'd love to hear who you are, um, your relationship with Grace Church, and... Um, maybe, you know, what do you do as a, as a calling and how Billy Graham has kind of influenced you in your life? Well, my relationship with grace goes back before grace. And uh, Dave and I had our offices uh, next door to each other at Faith Missionary Church. Oh. I was a pastor of a church that preceded grace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in that context, I remember when the vision of grace kind of first began in his heart. And so uh, from the very beginning of grace church, we were one of the missionaries supported through grace uh, at the beginning, now we're a grace partner, have been from kind of the beginning. I serve as an evangelist with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and for the last 28 years, I've been an evangelistic communicator with InterVarsity, speaking on college campuses at outreach events, apologetics events, something we call Question Mark, which took Keith Carlson <laughs> about five years to figure out what that means. Oh, I get it. It's Ask Mark, <laughs> but uh, it's an open Q&A on spiritual questions. And um, so anyway, that's been my relationship with grace. And I, I've shared about the grace story, frankly, all over the country when I have been places speaking to pastors, church leaders, as well as on campuses to talk about the six broken places and what we're learning here and found a lot of resonance with that. And uh, so I feel very much sent out by grace, not just in a casual way, but I feel like New Testament type sent out mm. from Antioch uh, and have been from the beginning. So thank wow. you very much. So you emailed me th- this afternoon and um, people do this quite a bit with the podcast, they, they have ideas and I love receiving emails of people's feedback and ideas of what we can talk about on the podcast. And we don't always get to invite people to, to join us as guests, but, um, can you tell me a little bit about why you emailed me today? 
I don't do that because first I abhor self-promotion. <laughs> I mean, I, that is not my gig. And, uh, and Billy's had a influence on me on that, to be honest, from a far distance. But hmm. it's like, I, I'm about exalting Jesus, not about building an empire or a name or a brand. And, uh, but, but what, here's what happened to me. I, I learned, I saw Dave's tweet early in the week and it said, we're honoring Billy Graham this weekend. I thought, well, that's about a five minute little tribute. That'll be really sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in to be in Peoria this last weekend. And so I was going to miss it. And then I, my brother texted me and he said, were you at the service this weekend? I said, no. So what part of the service is the Billy Graham tribute? And he said, it's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And so then he let me know what was happening on Saturday night. And I, I live streamed it from my hotel in Peoria. That's cool. I knew I had to be there. And I'm telling you, I mean, that was a sacred moment. Mm. Yeah. I sat in the lobby with tears running down my face. And not only during the message, but during the invitation. Mm. And then I went back to my hotel room and I got on my knees and I said, that's not good enough. Mm. I said, I'm, I got on my face and I just said, God, I'm all in for this next chapter. I want to be a, continue to be a communicator that communicates the truth with grace and humility to this generation. And mm. so um, that's, that's fresh as of yesterday. So, wow. so that's why I, I, I felt this, this Holy Spirit prompting saying, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I'm not lobbying for this, but if I have something to say, I'd like to. And, and he and his team have had a huge impact on me. Really interesting. Up close, yeah. Um, so yesterday's message was centered around living the Christian life. And what does that mean? What, what, what does even being a Christian mean? And how do you live the life of a Christian? And Barry, you said this is very relevant to today. So let's, let's dig into the content of what he had to say and talk about why that's relevant today and talk about some of the uh, specific elements of what he had to say. So the first thing he did was describe what a Christian is. And um, he says, it's somebody who has had an encounter with God in their life's transformed and changed because of that. And then he goes through the different, what that actually means. Like, what does it mean to live a Christian life? And the first thing he talks about is, is prayer, which is something we've certainly focused on in the last year and a half or two years here at Grace Church. So um, he basically said, these are the rules of what being a Christian means. Let's, let's just jump off from there and talk about what we, what we're processing as we heard his message. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I sort of thought about as I was listening to his first, the first time I heard it out at the PLT retreat, I realized, okay, what he's saying is we should read our Bibles every day. We should pray all the time. We should, you know, have a, have a a set time where we pray with, pray to God Mm -hmm. and all that. And I started processing this and thinking about the way that I've heard that over my years as a Christ follower and realized that especially earlier, earlier on um, it, it was a very, it frankly came across often somewhat legalistic where it mm. was like, mm. it, it almost had drifted from what he was saying, which is this is the way that you have that transformed life. It turned into, this is what it means to be a Christian is that you're someone who does your devotions, yeah. you know? And, and like it, it became somewhat legalistic in the course of time mm. And then I think what, ha- what has happened is that grace and other churches like it have sort of reacted against that legalism. And we have had a message where it's much more free and it's much more open. Mm-hmm. And so, which I think is a healthy swing of the pendulum. Uh, and so we've, we've not forced people 
to read your Bible every day. We've not made it something that you're going to feel guilty if you haven't done. And if you don't mm-hmm. know the Bible back and forth, but now what's happened <laughs> is we have got a whole generation of younger people who've been growing up at grace. Their parents have enjoyed this freedom and flexibility of making the faith their own. But in many ways, younger people, and I'll say even younger people who've come up at grace don't have those disciplines and those routines mm-hmm. and those practices baked in. And so frankly, they're, they are, in many ways, spiritual babies as they're growing up, just like Billy Graham was talking about. And and what I'm realizing, what I've been thinking about a lot since I heard his, his message is maybe it's time for the pendulum to come back around and for mm. us to start taking on that idea that that following Christ is work and it, it's hard and it takes discipline because that's a message that, um, hasn't been very palatable, but I think it's never been more necessary. So mm. I, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Oh, I've, yeah. I've oh, just yeah. been feeling like, wow, there, no wonder his message is so relevant is because he was saying this before the legalism set in. Mm. And yeah. it may be. And the thing that hit me was I, when I first heard the message, I thought, wait a minute, this is a, an evangelistic crusade or revival or message. And yet he's speaking to Christians or he's speaking in ways that Christians would understand Bible reading. And then, and so I was confused at first. And then I thought, no, this is exactly what was going on then is what's going on now. When you have 80% of the country saying they claim some sort of relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet they're not really demonstrating Mm -hmm. any kind of sign that their life has changed or they're living by a a new set of challenges, Mm -hmm. the way Billy described it. And, And I realized that... The line between what somebody needing to surrender their life to Jesus Christ um, for the first time and rededicating their life to Jesus Christ, that line is almost obliterated now. I'm not even sure it is it's even a thing anymore. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, we used to, when I was in Bible school and Mark can attest to this, we had an understanding that you preach a certain way to the unsaved and you preach another way to the saved. Okay. Or you preach a a way to somebody who has never surrendered to Christ and those who are somewhat churched. Mm. What Billy did was conflate those and he he almost obscured the difference Mm. by talking about this is what a Christian is. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, as the, okay, so case in point, man came up to me after the service at 4.30. And literally he looked at me and he said, I thought I was, I know I'm not, I want to be. Hmm. Wow. And what he was saying is, I, all these years I've thought of myself as somebody mm-hmm. who's following Jesus Christ, but now hearing Billy describe what a Christian is, I'm not that. Hmm. And I want to be that. So Mark, I don't know if you could relate what I'm talking about, that conflating of that. Yeah. One of the ways I've, it's changed my um, speaking, to be honest, on campuses, I, I talk about defining moments. I'll say, tonight can be a defining moment to you, and I won't define it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll say, you know, because some of them may, it may be for the first time, it may be recommitment, but this is an awakening moment yeah. that awakens their soul and takes them to the next step. And I think that's the, what you're talking about, yeah. Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people have had encounters and, in, and multiple encounters without surrendering their will. Exactly. Yeah. I think of the rich young ruler who went away sad. He had an encounter, but he didn't change anything. There was no transformation there. So I think that's what a lot of people are walking away with is like questioning their own selves. Yeah. Is, is all I've had a series of encounters or have I mm-hmm. made a decision and surrendered my will? And is there, you know, change in my life? Yeah, for sure. He went through what we're calling or what he called rules. Here are the rules of being 
living a Christian life. And the first one was prayer. Second one was read the Bible, but not just read it, but read it like expectantly, like expect to have an encounter with God. And he said, yeah. read it reverently, I think mm-hmm. is the word he yeah. used, which which we've talked about before, the, the whole idea of expecting that God will speak to you through the word. And that's basically what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And read it until he does, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, read it, read the Bible until God does speak to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one was discipline. He said, the Christian life is a way of discipline and hardship. And we, the way we put that at grace is self-denial. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, because I do think that that is, that is overlooked a lot yeah. in 2018. That it's, nailed me in his message. That yeah. absolutely nailed me. And I think the corollaries, he said, it's a life of challenge. Mm-hmm. Didn't he use that word? Well, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't he list off? He's like, oh, my if you word. read the New Testament, this is what, this is the words that yeah. he's on the list. Oh yeah, yeah. Go for it. Oh, I'm glad you have it. Cause I was trying to remember. Renunciation and hardship, fight, wrestle, run, work, suffer, endure, resist, agonize, persevere. Yeah, yeah. That, that nailed me. Yeah. And I, I thought, wow, that's, ex- that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. We don't like, we really don't like the idea of any of those things. That's kind of the whole exact opposite of what our culture is built on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we well, live, yeah. And he had said just before that, that Jesus was busy eliminating people. Yeah. I, right. I, I never thought of that. Yeah. You know, but yeah, telling people to deny themselves, telling people to take up their cross, then he likens the cross to the modern day electric chair or gallows yeah. or in our time, you know, lethal injection. Sure. Take up your lethal injection and follow me. Can you right. imagine? Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The fourth one was the church, which is what? struck me. Um, he said, Christian fellowship is not optional. It's commanded. You'll never find a perfect church. And if you join one, it'll be imperfect yeah. because you're there. <laughs> yeah. That was a great little zinger. Yeah. Uh, he said, Jesus's 12 disciples were imperfect. And that made me think about grace because we've talked on this podcast about like some of the tough times that we're all kind of experiencing and with staff and with finances and all this stuff. And like, I feel like it was so refreshing to hear somebody of Billy Graham's stature say, you you can belong to the global church, but there's these different satellites that you must belong to Mm -hmm. and get a grip because they're they're not going to be perfect. You're Mm -hmm. not going to find the perfect one led by perfect people. And it just kind of, I mean, we're all leaders here at this church and it gave me, I don't know, it, it gave me permission or, uh, it made me feel like a weight or something was lifted off my shoulders because yeah. there's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves to be perfect, perfect, yeah. flawless. Yeah. And um, to hear him say that made me feel, um, I don't know, like forgiven or something like forgiven yeah. for trying so hard with my own strength to make mm. what I do perfect here. You know wow. what I mean? So that was really what, hammered me yesterday. I loved that he said living stones. I thought that was a great reminder. I just thought about, yeah. Us Wait, being, when, when does he say that? He was talking just about describing um, the church, the church yeah. Christian fellowships, um, that it's yeah. essential that we are living stones. And mm. I, you know, just picturing that, what does that look like? What does mm. that yeah. mean? Like for us to be fitted together and, and strong and fortified, but less so when one brick is missing, yeah. you know, um, yeah, that was a great picture of the church. And the fifth thing he said, and he ended, uh, his message was the fifth rule for living a Christian life uh, is witnessing for Christ. And he said, you do that by the way you live. Um, 
So those are the rules. And as somebody who doesn't like rules. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was like, there was like a tension there mm-hmm. because I was like, wait, I thought there weren't any rules. I just had to believe. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about that because that is something that I wrestled with as I'm listening to it. And I'm, as I'm listening to it through a millennial's ears who doesn't like authority and doesn't like rules telling me what I have to do. This is what he's telling us. But at the same time, it, it's almost freeing. It was almost freeing to me to be like, Oh yeah, that is really hard. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So there's this book that I briefly referenced last week when I was talking about digging wells in my sermon, I briefly referenced Dallas Willard's book, um, spirit of the disciplines or the spirit of the disciplines, uh, phenomenal book. But one of the analogies that he uses, which I think is so incredible is he's talked about baseball, but I don't know what he plays baseball anymore. I, a few people <laughs> probably still play baseball. Our don't apologies. tell Chris Shore that you said <laughs> they, I won't uh, tell, don't let, wow. I don't think Chris Shore listens to they, this. They uh, pull so. all of audibles. They'd call, they pull a lot of audibles to get over the goal line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, anyway, fine. I'll use his analogy like of curling. baseball. Oh, cr- yeah. There we go. Oh, man. We'll come back trail. to that yeah. later. So, okay. His analogy Champs. is, okay, let's say you're a child or, or some young person who has a, like your favorite baseball star that you want to be just like. Like you want to live, you want to, you want to be just as good as that star. And so what you do is you buy that person's brand of shoes you get mm. the right bat, the same bat that that person uses. You get their, you get their same hat. You make sure that you're, that you, you know, whatever. And that suddenly you imagine that's going to make you into this mm-hmm. great ba- baseball star. But I do that's, that with golf all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's all I, about the gear. If I have Tiger Woods as clubs, I'm going to be so much better. Right. That's worked, hasn't it? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the point is that <laughs> that's not what makes you into a great baseball player. What makes that that baseball star so great is years and years mm-hmm. of right. practice mm-hmm. and, and discipline and hardship and diet and working out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. that those are the things and natural talent. Like those are the things that make somebody a, yeah. a star, an athletic star. And he likens that to Jesus. And he talks about, you know, we, we look at the life of Jesus and we think, Oh, he was just something special. You know, he walked around and maybe it was the robes he wore. I don't know. But whenever he encountered a problem, boom, solved, you know, yeah. healed, you know, you're, you're done. But then he, what he says is no, trying to imitate Jesus, the whole, what would Jesus do thing? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to say, what would Jesus do when some big moment strikes you in the face that that's not going to work. The, the question is who would Jesus be? Like, what are the things he did between the miracles? And mm. he worked, he, he spent hours and hours alone in prayer. He studied scripture. Oh, he knew mm-hmm. it like the back of his hand. He followed I mean, the rules. He followed the rules. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to put it bluntly, so speak, yeah. that's why he was Jesus. Cause yeah. he was so <laughs> good at shaping himself to be the, yeah. to, you know, to, to align himself with. And this is how Billy started the whole sermon was talking about Beethoven. If you remember that. Oh yeah. The girl yeah, yeah. Lady wanted to play the Sonata. Right, yeah. Who wanted to play Beethoven, but she didn't do the didn't practicing. Practice. She yeah. didn't do the mm-hmm. the rules yeah. and, and butchered Beethoven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I re, this plays into something I read on a blog a few months ago or a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, 
there was this guy was talking about Bob Dylan, evangelism, and uh, a third eye, baseball, all three of those. Baseball is what triggered that, you know? So, <laughs> and I played baseball, Barry, okay? So you got to stay off my sport. Well, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> sort of. But, uh, but I apologize to all he, baseball fans. He, he said when he was about nine or 10 years old, he fell in love with all three of those, baseball, Bob Dylan, and, and the Lord, basically. But he said, what happened with my baseball coach was he did not get out the rule book to teach us the rules. He said, he got us in the grass to feel the dirt and the grass. He said, I want you to lie on your stomach and feel it. And he began to fall in love with the beauty of the sport of baseball. And he said, now look at that double play. There's a rhythm to that. And he said, I got captured by that. Then I learned in order to really flourish as a baseball player, I had to learn to live within the rules, but that was not the end. And so hmm. I think it flipped it around to what you said earlier, that it's not legalism to try to achieve something, but it, it, there are principles there that are timeless. And that's kind of like living into baseball and learning to appreciate. You, you don't start out teaching baseball to a kid and say, oh, I want you to love baseball. So here's the infield fly rule. You know, right. that just doesn't do it. But you say, look at the beauty of that or Beethoven or whatever. And so I think that's what I loved about that piece with Billy. Hmm. Yeah, my frustration has been, and it's growing to the point of, it bothers me for people to proclaim or declare some sort of relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's nothing in their life that indicates that they've got some connection, connection with God. And Billy kept saying over and over again, when you, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you mm -hmm. and empowers you to follow the rules, so mm -hmm. to speak, empowers you to do those things. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, uh, for, uh, let me start with my own life. And then I look at other people and I realize, okay, I proclaim some sort of faith in Jesus Christ, but does my life demonstrate the fact that I've got the presence of God within me? Yeah. And can I live this out? Um, we are at a, we are at, I think his message hit me because we're at a spiritual crisis point as a nation. This is, we're at some sort of spiritual crossroads. That's why I was weeping, mm. partly why I was weeping. And we've got to understand that it's not just some sort of ascent to Jesus. There's something deeper. And he was calling us to something deeper. Mm -hmm. he, he referenced the fruits of the spirit. He didn't go through all of them, right. but he talked about evidence. Yes. By their fruits shall he know them. Well, and, and how shocking was it to hear him describe the culture? Yeah. Lying and immorality. And I thought, well, okay, <laughs> 60 years later, here Got we are again. It's way of. better. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and he said, if, you, if you're a Christian, you should want to grow. You should want that. That, that is something that you should desire yeah. because you are compelled, like you said, by the Holy Spirit to, to want that. And if you want that, you're going to yeah. want to feed your soul. As he said, you feed your body. Why wouldn't you want to feed your soul? And yeah. I was going to ask something. I was going to ask Mark to respond to something that Billy said. One of the most shocking things he said um, Communism? N no. Well, yeah, that part. <laughs> well, that, and that was the only the only reference, and that's not what I was going to say. But I know. That's <laughs> the only reference in the whole sermon to something that was kind of isolated to that right, time. Right, the time. Yeah. Okay, I thought- Cold War. Yeah, it was very interesting. But he said something near the end. Mark, if you could address this. I, he, he looked straight into the camera and he said, you cannot choose- to surrender to Christ anytime you want. Yeah, that was interesting. You remember when he mm -hmm. said that? I do. He said, you can only do that when the Holy Spirit calls you. Hmm. And mm -hmm. like, so the whole message, he was like, surrender your life to Jesus Christ, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And then he says, but you can't do this if you just want to. There's got to, so could yeah. you, could you talk about that? 
I think one of the beauties of watching him over the years is to see how he disassembles dis, uh, the barriers that are in the way for someone to see Jesus. And I'd say it's as though I am standing on the right. Jesus is on the, or let's say a pre-Christian person is on the right. There, uh, uh, Jesus is on the left. And there are these walls between us. Some are emotional walls, some are volitional walls, some are intellectual walls. And in that message, if you listen, he's dis- disarming each of those. And one of them is the issue of the will. And so he, he's pre- the invitation is given throughout the entire message. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's not tacked on at the end. It is woven like a tapestry through that entire message. So by the time he gets to the end, one of the strongest ones is the will. And, and a friend of mine says, the problem with willpower, trying to just improve my life with willpower, is the will doesn't have enough power. Mm-hmm. And I need a power greater than me to be able to do that. Well, he did that right there. I cannot will myself into the kingdom of God. I can't think myself into it. But now is a moment. And there's that kind of Second Corinthians 6, 2 piece there of today's, today's the, day the day of, day of salvation. salvation. Yes. Get on. And, and he's done that over and over. I, I got to tell you, a moment when I saw that come to life, I was sitting on the platform in Charlotte at a crusade. At one uh, of his crusades? One of his, yeah. I've, I've had multiple things have happened, but that was the only time I was on the platform. Michael W. Smith, DC Talk were the ones that were doing the youth night way back then. But but it was we had 100,000 people, I think it was, in the rain standing out there. And there were about 20 of us on, that were pulled up at the last second on the platform. And I got to see him give that invitation and watch these people come forward. The night before, I had been sitting down down at the on the floor level with my brother, who's managed Christian artists for 20 years. And uh, Billy came to the point of the invitation. And he said, Tonight, Jesus is offering you to surrender to your life and to follow him right now. Will you do it? My brother looked me straight in the eye and he said, I've only seen that look one other place in my entire life. He said, where's that? He said, it's in the boardroom. When the multi-million dollar deal is on the table, this is my final offer. Will you take it? Mm. Hmm. And I've told that to evangelistic communicators all around the world. I said, we have the privilege of bearing the priceless offer but will you take it? And there was that compassion mixed with pleading to say, it's, t- it's here. Will you mm. take it? And that was an anointing that God had on him in a very unusual way. And it felt to me, Mark, like in that moment when Billy called that out, what he's saying in essence and what you're feeling right now mm. is exactly what I'm saying. That's right. That's right. You know, you, you can't do this anytime, but you realize something's going on in you right now. You can feel it, can't you? Mm-hmm. So why would you not respond to that? Exactly. And it's transcendence. Yeah, yes, it's like, absolutely. this is a moment. Don't waste it. So let's talk about his impact uh, in the world. So I think you said he, it's estimated that he may have spoken to like 250 million people. Yeah, I was well, looking at some other stats. There's some disagreement as to, does that include TV crowds? Right. Does that yeah, include yeah, yeah. on, uh, I don't know, but let's, it's safe millions. to say <laughs> hundreds of millions <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah, huge um, impact. And have you have you all been to a crusade? Yeah. No. Nope. I've been to two. I went to one when I was very early on in my faith as a teenager. I went because I thought DC Talk was there and I was like, yes, Kevin Max. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went for the music, but that's that's part of his impact is that as he grew older and as he, as the culture was swirling around him, like DC talks, not his preference of music, Mm -hmm. but he invited them or they were invited to his rallies or his, um, what do we call them? Crusades. Crusades. Crusades, Yeah. yeah, And, uh, they performed because he welcomed them into the ecosystem of this is, this is what people want. And I'm going to invite them into my world. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit about his, his impact. Obviously, he, I think we said he's been um, an advisor to every president since Eisenhower. Is that yep. right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, he was involved. Um, he had a relationship with Martin Luther King. Um, Mark, you probably know way, and Dave, you probably know way more than than I'm even saying right now. But let's talk a little bit about the impact because I think there might be some people listening to this that still don't have a full grasp of what his death and his life means to not just Christianity, but the world. He came along right after World War II and and at a time when, you know, there was a huge debate with the fundamentalists and the modernists and can the, can uh, evangelical, well, what's now called evangelical Christian faith live in in that. And uh, he, like Barry said uh, offline here, um, he took some real heat because he was charting a new course Mm -hmm. and he was a bridge builder that was respectful, but holding to historic Orthodox Christian faith and proclaiming Jesus. So he was a uniter ahead of his times. Uh, One of his longtime associates has been a key mentor in my life. Hmm. Um, 25 years now with Leighton Ford. Leighton is Billy's brother-in-law. He married Billy's younger sister, Jeannie. And I got the privilege of sharing with their board meeting back in November uh, and said thank you to them for their 25 years of investment in me over these years. But Leighton one time was speaking at Duke Divinity School and he, someone asked him in the Q&A, how have you seen Billy Graham um, grow over the years? Well, how would you describe his leadership? And he said, and the image came to him was, he's like a, an arrow. He said he kept his point clear, yeah. sharp, pointed. He, he was called as an evangelist, not as a politician or whatever else he was offered. But over time, he grew in the breadth and the depth of the implications of that. Yeah. So he grew in the breadth of speaking out against apartheid and nuclear disarmament and even addressing racism of taking down the ropes in the segregated South in the late mm-hmm. 50s, seven or eight years before civil rights legislation. So, you know, he, he did address some issues, even though he wasn't called as an activist. He was right. called as an evangelist, but he spoke to the implication, he broadened in his implications of it, and he grew in the biblical depth of what that meant. And Leighton said, 30 years of serving as his vice president, right-hand man, being his brother-in-law, I've seen him as an arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to describe his impact. Mm-hmm. And and one other thing that hit me is this man, I don't know, how long was his ministry? Over six, total, so over six years, longer than that. Um, scandal-free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scandal-free. And that <laughs> it boggles my mind. That was going to be one of my questions is what sets him apart from all these other like famous or whatever, like, major yeah. pastors and preachers that have come and gone. What sets him apart? I'm no expert, but everything I've read has commented on his humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say he wouldn't that's let people gotta be a him, big part. He wouldn't let people call him Mr. Graham. He, he said, no, just call me Billy, right? Right. That, and yeah. we read about these scandals and a lot of it is just that pride coming before a fall. And yeah. just yeah. head gets big. He makes an appearance, fictionalized appearance in the, the Crown, the the Netflix really? show about the Queen, because oh, he yeah. oh that's cool spent yeah, time one on one talking to the Queen, and and with the moment Billy Graham comes on, I'm like oh no what what, what are they going to are they, they, they going to make it look him? bad are they going to make him like out to be some sort of philanderer no he he's genuinely this great guy mm. that's cool influences oh, was, the Queen yeah. well done it was it, it was like oh cool like yeah hmm. even even in in modern fictionalized accounts of his life. He's, he's yeah. completely scandal-free. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I think the team that was around him plays a real key in that. One of his boyhood associates was a guy named T.W. Wilson, and T.W. came to Christ at the same crusade that Billy did when he was 16. Mm. And T.W. was a good old Southern boy there, you know, and he said, Billy, 
God's put me in your life to keep you from getting too big for your britches. That's what he put it. And he said, I know where you came from and I, you know, your daddy. And, uh, he kept him in, in check. And, uh, and, and I think those kind of people were in his life that were humble and high capacity. Some of them were fortune 500 CEOs and I've met them and they are humble people that mm. you would never know. I met a guy the other day that, I mean, a few years ago that he's the one that led Chuck Colson to Christ. Mm. I never knew that. Uh, he never talked about that. So, you know, they were humble, kingdom-oriented kind of people, but and they were the ones that kept, kept Billy there. And then and then he and his team met, and they, they talk about the Modesto Manifesto, and they met in California around the early part of his ministry and said, what are the biggest scandals that are happening with evangelists and others of that day? And they said, now you go back to your hotel room for an hour, list them out, and we're going to talk about how we protect ourselves. Hmm. They seem kind of weird to us today in the 21st century, but yet the principles of protection and wisdom are really timeless. And that's part of why they were scandal-free. Hmm. Wow. And then God protected them. They did some dumb things. I mean, Will, Billy said, you know, I, I did something stupid. I mean, they did stupid things. And he had the humility to a address that. He, after the first meeting with President Truman, they, they posed for photographs right. on the lawn and, and, he, and told what, the, what he talked to the president about. But Billy said, we'll never do that again. You know, and so they didn't. And so they, they made their mistakes. God also sovereignly really protected them from um, the deep, the deep uh, kind of scandals, or even accidental things. Uh, he had people that went into the rooms ahead of him to make sure there wasn't. It was not a setup. Mm. And I heard the stories where there was someone that went into the into the room to check his room, and they walked into the room, and a stripper jumped into to, out because they they had a photographer ready to Just make oh it look like gosh. it was a setup. Wow. And uh, you know, I don't have to deal with that, but you, but they, when you're that high profile, mm -hmm. they're they're out to get you. Wow. I like what you had mentioned about DC Talk. Yeah. It, Kevin Max. It reminded me of something that I read in an article, you know, about his change embracing spirit is how mm -hmm. they describe mm -hmm. it, how music may change. And, and he was willing to roll with that mm -hmm. and, you know, bring them along on, on the crusades and whatever, because it, he wasn't going to get hung up on something like that. Um, I got your email this morning too. Um, you sent it to Tyler and Barry and, and myself. One of the things I was excited about is you mentioned being in Amsterdam yes. in 83. Mm -hmm. That was something that I had read as well. Um, I'll just read this quote from this article. It says, as a sign of Billy Graham's change embracing spirit, um, approximately 500 attendees at the 1986 meeting, which I think was, yeah, that was also in Amsterdam, 500 attendees were women. And that was, I mean, a big deal. Revolutionary. <laughs> revolutionary. Yeah, very for much. the time. What very. was that like? Um, it was for itinerant. Yes. Uh, it, the one I went to was the first one, 1983. There were 4,000 evangelists from 180 countries that were invited. They, they didn't know how many evangelists there were around the world. And so they didn't know what to expect. Mm. They had to turn away four or 5,000 and realize they needed to do another one in 1986. Uh, but, but these were itinerant evangelists. So traveling evangelists, primarily preaching evangelists, but from all over the world. And, uh, and so Billy and his team organized this in Amsterdam uh, to, train, to identify the biblical gift of the evangelist, to train them, and then to resource them as well and to send them forth. And uh, I went there as a 24-year-old young man that had been preaching for, for six years. I started preaching. My first sermon was just 40 years ago this past September, and I relived that pilgrimage. I mm. uh, went back to my freshman dorm room and retraced those steps where by God's grace, that morning, three people came to faith in my in the message, mm. that little church, and that began our ministry. Well, I, I'd been preaching six years, seeing people come to faith, but I, I wasn't sure I was called as an evangelist. And the Lord opened the way to go to this conference. 
And it was on that conference floor where my wife was able to go with me, Dawn, and she squeezed my hand and said, honey, that's how you're wired and I'm with you. Mm. And I didn't know how or when that would ever happen. And so they, I heard the biblical gift of the evangelist for the local church as well as for the broader church. And I thought, that is my heart to communicate mm. Jesus to this generation. Well, mm-hmm. my generation was, you know, that was back a number of years ago. And every few years, it, my life and messages kept morphing into new new seasons of this generation. But that's where it happened. And I, on that floor, I'm, it was like a monument in the Jordan River for us, mm. that by mm-hmm. God's grace, someday I will be full-time as an evangelist. And we didn't know how or where. And I still have in my office in Noblesville, um, two, two things, a big banner from Amsterdam that mm-hmm. says, do the work of an evangelist. And it reminds me that's where God met us. And now by God's grace, we've been able to proclaim Jesus uh, ever since. And, yeah. and and I don't feel like I'm near done. I mean, it's like, I feel God's opening a whole new chapter to be real so honest. In 83 yeah. in Amsterdam, that was his first, um, what, what would you call it? Conference? It was the for first conference evangelists? for evangelists. In 1974, they had a conference, uh, the Lausanne conference. The first Lausanne conference was really for practitioners and theologians and strategists to talk about world evangelization. And we've had three of those conferences, but this one was uniquely for evangelists. I'd never seen such unity in my life. 10 simultaneous languages translated. And Whoa. we learned that there was one, one word we all said in common, hallelujah. Uh-huh. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so Billy would get up and lead that. And, and uh, it was powerful. We heard from Cliff Barrows on the family life of the traveling evangelist on integrity and just who's who of people that were there, Becky Pippard and all these others that were, Anne Graham Lotz, that was her first major conference wow. to speak at. And uh, it was very powerful and for me personally, but for all of these evangelists. And then they did one in 86 and then they did mm-hmm. one in 2000. Mm-hmm. How cool. Cool to have you here. That's uh, awesome. It's been a, it's been a privilege. So, so um, you said he's, he's been protected from scandal, but he, he didn't go through life without critics, right? He had, he had his critics and I, what some, some stuff that I was reading was like, okay, toward the end of his life, he's been interviewed few times, but not, not too much. But some of the questions are like, what would you have done differently? And there's a list, there's a list of stuff that, um, some of it you're like, what Billy Graham said that like of all people, he regrets not spending enough time in prayer and growing closer to God. (laughs) (laughs) What, what hope is there for me? Yeah. Well, that's encouraging. That means no matter what, like we're all going to feel that. Yeah. Uh, but some other things he said, um, he said he wishes he would have done more for civil rights in the sixties. He said he was kind of known for helping to tear down walls of segregation, but not necessarily building them back up. Mm. And he wishes he had gone to Selma with Martin Luther King to walk across that bridge. Um, which is really interesting that he powerful statement. yeah, Yeah. Really interesting. And, and when I asked the question, what sets him apart from other people or other pastors, it's this humility that toward the end of his life, he's admitting things that not everybody would have the self awareness or humility to say. Right. Um, he also said he regrets losing time with his family. He would have done that differently because. Just I, imagine. Yeah. Oh just imagine would, the people that wanted his time. But he would be gone for 12 to 16 weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Just think about that. Um, he regrets. Uh, he said he, he wished he would have steered clear of politics in general. He felt, he felt that he sometimes crossed the line and wouldn't do that the same way now. So like his, his involvement with the presidents, his involvement with Richard Nixon in particular, like he would have done all of that differently and he wouldn't have even gone there necessarily. But it was just really interesting to watch a man toward the end of his life say, 
a lot of things that you may even know me for, like mm-hmm. being the pres- the president's pastor. I may have done that differently. Mm-hmm. It was just really interesting to me. I've been reading some of those, Tyler, and I, I think he still would have gone there uh, to advise the presidents. Uh, I, I didn't read anything that contradicted that because he was going as a spiritual counselor privately f- as a friend, but what he did realize he made a mistake on was partisan politics. Okay. And when he really became uh, too closely identified with Richard Nixon, and he got burned yeah, yeah. on that and learned his lesson, um, but to be able to have off-the-record conversations with high-profile leaders that— and really were as, as a spiritual advisor, I think he would still do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what um, I, I think what's really, because um, uh, that was a unique thing with him. It was a, he was a America's pastor in that way. And, you know, God just raised him up to be able to do yeah. that. Uh, so I, I think he still would have done done the advising, but he but his time away from his family and and I think particularly uh, the time that he spent. He said I, I heard him one time say I tr- I dedicated too many golf courses and I you know he did some travel that was <laughs> yeah. not central to his calling and that's yeah. a thing for me to say Mark stay focused on your calling and don't say yes to all these other mm. things and I think for all of us Dave, we have wow. to do Dave that. shaking his head uh, you hear yeah, me? violently you know? shaking my yeah. head yeah because and he you know some friend or a major donor or someone would say let's hey come out and dedicate my thing well. Right. Maybe he didn't need to do that. Uh, but, and, and I've heard him say, I wish I had prayed more and studied the Bible more and traveled less, you know? <laughs> oh so God. I guess, uh, yeah, that well, is, that's unbelievable. That is encouraging and depressing. Yeah. <laughs> mostly depressed. Like, well, what hope is there for me, man? Yeah. So here's, here's what I am really encouraged by <clears throat> as, excuse me, as I was reading some of the same things, uh, that you were looking at some of the the criticisms he was receiving, I realized, okay, a lot of the criticisms were coming from those who said he wasn't progressive enough, mm-hmm. that he didn't move fast enough, that he, you know, he didn't align himself with certain things. I mean, even Vietnam War, he he was not in alignment with Martin Luther King, who was very out on a limb saying that we shouldn't be there. That you know, later I'm sure he looks back and wishes he'd done it differently. So he, there's some people who are like, you should have been more liberal. You should have been more mm-hmm. out there. There's other people who were saying you're way too liberal. You need to, you need to be more conservative. Right. You need to pull back. You need to not, you know, you're, you're cheapening things. You're making the gospel too simple. It's gotta be complicated because the Bible is complicated or something. I don't know. Yeah. So there's people angry at him from both sides and, and he stayed true. He stayed true to his mission. And what, what gives me encouragement in, in that is I feel in many ways like Grace Church is in a similar position because we've refused to align ourselves with a specific political mm-hmm. angle. We have uh, taken a posture towards scripture and towards prayer that has included multiple perspectives and voices, which has not been as um, crystal clear to, to some that we are like hardcore uh, conservative on our view of scripture. And to some people, we are way too conservative yeah. on our view of scripture, but we believe this is the, this is how God, where God has brought us and our view towards things like homosexuality and poverty and, and all these issues. There are people on both sides that are upset with us, which <laughs> I guess is awful. And I also guess is encouraging Yeah, that if someone like Billy Graham can stay true and stay in the middle and allow people of different perspectives to to work together for the same goal. Maybe we can too. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> as much as I sometimes wish we could just throw out all the folks that don't agree with X, Y, Z, uh, there's mm-hmm. something about having a big tent. Absolutely. Yeah. Big for tent. Sure. A big tent, which he literally which did. Which he had lots of big tents. Yeah. yeah. Very tent. large tents. He did. And, and I think what was always tent interesting down. was his tent was big and anyone could be in there as long as they had, but you knew at the center that- 
they were going to hold to the few core things of the authority of the scripture and yeah. of the yeah. core of the gospel. But yeah. as long as you're on board with that, the tent's wide. Anybody Absolutely. Can come. Yeah. Is That's it true that he bailed Martin Luther King out of jail? Yeah, he paid, he he paid bail. That's awesome. Yeah. That is an awesome story. So what, what do we do now? I mean, Billy Graham passed away. Who's up? Like, what are we doing? Let, let me Christians. let me respond to that. Just even even I hear the question about who's the next Billy Graham or whatever, yeah. and I think there never will be one. Just like there never will be another Dwight Moody right. or a Spurgeon or whoever else it is. Martin that Luther, was like Martin Apostle Luther, Paul. yeah, they are, they were unique people. God raised up in that time. However, I do believe He has women and men that are being raised up now, and I can tell you where I've seen them, and I, I am seeing them. Hmm. I mean, I was in I was in Indonesia a year and a half ago for a younger leaders conference. We had a thousand young leaders under age 40 from 140 countries. And I met people on every continent that met one-on-one with me. I had 31 individual meetings and every one of them, or I met people on every continent that said, I'm called as an evangelist. And I wanted to meet with you because I feel God's calling to communicate the gospel to this generation. Hmm. And you don't, they're mainland China, where all these other places, but they, they felt the biblical call of an evangelist. And it looks different than Billy, mm-hmm. but God is raising them up now and in this country. And I'm getting ready to be part of something in Dallas in October. We'll have a half a million people, God willing, there praying for a spiritual reset in this country. And they're all young adults. And so it's, it's like, there are those things happening so there'll never be a Billy uh, in exactly like him. But I, I, this was the quote that really struck me over the whole several days um, in this. Well, uh, I, I was watching, I just happened to see the Today Show and I saw when Kathy Lee Gifford was on Megyn Kelly. I heard about Did you about guys this. see that? I didn't we see it. I heard yeah. about it. It's that's worth watching. Really? She went oh, off. Yeah. And that's the, one of the best I've ever heard Kathy Lee say, you know, before. But after she shared the gospel and shared how, the, how her whole family had come to on, faith in on Christ. Live NBC. Live yeah. Today <laughs> Show. Well, was it Wines Day? Wines Day Wednesday or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> it, it, probably, it actually was, I'll bet, yeah. Okay. So, um, and she hadn't had any yet. And so, um, <laughs> but, but what happened was um, then Megan Kelly said to her, she said, you know, you, we are having a, you and I are having a, a personal conversation about faith ongoing anyway. So Kathy's having that role in her life. And then Megan Kelly had the quote that has haunted me. And that was, she said, where are the people today who are, and then she named off these things, who are nonpartisan, who are full of grace and love, who are helping me reconnect with God, Mm. who are uh, humble and have integrity and are not trying to rip me off. Where are those voices? And Kathy Lee said, well, some of them are your plumber, your business associates, because they are there and they're pastors and churches. But it was like, all of us can be that. Every one of us in our own spheres of influence. And some are going to have a more public profile, but, but that's, what we can carry on is to be those kinds of women and men that are voices yeah. with integrity and humility and thoughtfulness. And, and I'm, I'm giving the rest of my life to, to walking alongside those high capacity leaders that will engage in the media and other places to articulate a Christian worldview with love and grace. And we were praying that God would uh, continue stirring that up now. And I'm a little, as Dave would say, a little worked up on you that one. You are worked up. <laughs> I love it. I don't, I don't really sense to that. You're speaking to my heart. Man. Really? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, the time is now. And yeah. I'm, I'm feeling it more than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah. You don't wow. sense it. So I'm calling um, on young people. I have two junior hires at home and these are the conversations we have as their friends are essentially asking them the same questions. Well, why are Christians so judgmental? And why do Christians? And it's just all the ugly stuff that the media paints us to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling my junior high school kids know you are going to be the one that shows them that that's not the case. And you're going to hold to what the scripture says about how to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be servant to all. You're going to get that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. And I'd say, give them a new video clip of what a Christian is like. And I, I've had that in large Q and A's that I do with folks from the LGBTQ community or others. And they'd say, you're the first Christian that's responded to me in love and grace. And that really ticked me off to mm. be honest, because I thought all the pain and brokenness that they had or someone else that was just angry at the church. And or an, I was at Cambridge about three weeks ago and we had in England, <laughs> we had um, uh, a week long of mission weeks there of, but we had Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, agnostics, nominal Christians were there. And they were learning about Jesus and the place was packed every, every session. But they were, the Christians were respectful and thoughtful and humble, very much in the line of a Billy Graham. And every one of us can do that in our workplaces, in our yes. neighborhoods, in our schools, uh, and on the media and in print and with podcasts. And Yeah, you should God, have your own podcast. Why aren't you doing this? <laughs> You've got enough Not to yet. say, I think, right? Well, uh, pray for me. This is a moment. You real, do I'm it, serious. It is a moment. Something's being birthed, and Good. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah. it's coming soon. What uh, What is your Enneagram? Do you know this number? <laughs> you want me to put that on a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, we gotta I do know my private. Enneagram. Yes, I do. It's a six. Six. So. Yeah. Wow. All right. Woo! You and Marin. All right. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks so much for the conversation. It, I, to be honest, when I heard we were making this, when we were pulling this audible, uh, I didn't know what we were even going to talk about on the podcast because when I heard it's from 1957, I was like, what? we can't bring him. What are we going to, what are we going to do? But Mark, thank you so much for emailing yeah, us thanks, and um, inviting yourself <laughs> onto the show. I guess so. Um, I love it. What are we doing next week? We're starting a new series. Yeah. Barry. And it's about the Last Supper. Barry, do you want to kind of tell us what we're in for? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll be good. So we're looking at the things that Jesus did and said to the disciples during the Last Supper as told specifically in the Gospel of John. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I'll be setting it up. I'm starting this weekend. I'll, I'll set up the the whole series and then we'll dive into these different things uh, because there's something really special when you look at just this little segment of the gospel of John, uh, because not only is it sort of Jesus's last words to his disciples, the things that were most important to him that he wanted to make sure they heard and understood. um, But John, the apostle who probably wrote this book towards the end of his life is thinking of his legacy. And he's thinking what what of my apostolic message do I need to make sure gets passed on and doesn't get lost? And so this is also the most important thing to John to pass on. Mm-hmm. And so it it has these multiple layers. And because of all of it, it's like, it's not a message that's just from Jesus to his disciples. It's from Jesus to the church, which means it's from Jesus to you. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, it's cool. It'll be cool. All and right. like this week we're kicking it off with um, when Jesus, he starts this whole thing by washing his disciples feet and they probably it's have some awesome. pretty gross feet, but we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course uh, you will. <laughs> yeah. um, and this will take us right up to Easter, right? That's right. Uh, four, four weeks in this, and then we end with, yeah, then we have Easter and Good Friday and Easter. Cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I know that uh, Emily, our pod prod, uh, has is writing a devotional to kind of like supplement what we hear on weekends. And so I'm really Sweet. looking forward to this whole next month. Oh, yeah. So it'll be good. Awesome. But until next week, Marin, would you like to send us out? I will. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we will see you on the other side of Sunday. 